Acts chapter 5 is where we are, picking up there. Um, As we're journeying through the book of Acts, what we're walking through is the pages of our own history as a church. What we're seeing is the foundation, the stories, the accounts of the beginning of the church that Jesus established. Last time what we looked at was how sin on the inside of the church threatens the purity and the gospel mission. Ananias and Sapphira, they tried to use God for their own glory. And that didn't work out too well for them. They, they played the part of generous people, but they lied to look good before men. Hypocrisy is a real threat to the gospel. You know, if you ask around why people um, aren't involved in a church, probably 90% of them would say, well, because there's such hypocrites there, right? And uh, the trouble is, if they came, there'd be more hypocrites because <laughs> we're, we're all not what we want to be. All of us fall short. But Ananias and Sapphira put on a face. They put on uh, this image of being generous. And uh, the thing is that God knows our hearts. And he chose in that moment to judge them to strike fear in the heart of his church. So the gospel mission must advance and we must be on our guard against opposition from the outside as well as sinful problem on the inside. The danger of sin is real. Well, in Acts 5, um, at the end of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the word church is used. The Bible says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I don't know if you noticed, but this is the first time that Luke has used the word church in both his gospel, Luke, and the book of Acts. He's not used the word church as we use it, though it's very common to us. He has not used it until this point. And the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. I put it on your sermon guide this morning because I want to tell you exactly what that word means because it's really significant. You know, we use the word church very commonly. It's just, you know, hey, I'm going to go to church or This is the church. Well, here's what the Bible means when it talks about the word church. In a general sense, it means the gathering, right? That's what it means. It's an assembly. That's the definition of the word ecclesia. However, the word ecclesia is actually a compound Greek word. It's two Greek words that are sort of squeezed together to make a new one. It's the Greek word ek and kaleo. And here's what they mean. This is significant or I wouldn't take the time for it. It means... Called out to bear his name. So the church is a gathering of people who are called out to bear the name of Jesus. That's what the church is. We are his people. When we gather, we gather to bear his name. When we scatter, we scatter to bear his name. We've been talking about this as a theme because it's, it's a major theme for Acts Chapter 3 through chapter 5, the major idea, the, the, the concept that keeps coming up is this idea of in the name of Jesus. If you remember, um, Peter and John came to the lame man by the gate of the temple called Beautiful. and They looked down at him and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise, right? Well, then they got in trouble for that. And the Sanhedrin brought him in and said, in whose name and by what authority are you doing these things? And they said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then those same leaders said, you can no longer teach in this name. What we're finding is the name to bear the name of Christ is who we are as a people. That's what this 
This section of book of Acts is all about is defining who the church is. And we are the people of God called out to bear his name. Well, in Acts 4, 18, Peter and John and the church were, quote, charged not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Oh, but these followers of Jesus had seen too much. They'd seen too much. They'd done too much. They'd been with Jesus for too much to be silent. You see, they'd been with Jesus when he turned water into wine. Very first miracle they ever saw. They'd been with Jesus when he walked on the water in the midst of a storm. They were in the boat with Jesus when he spoke peace into a storm and it stilled. They'd seen Jesus make a blind man to see, a paralyzed man to walk. A man who was lowered through the roof met Jesus and walked out through the door. They had seen Jesus take a demon-possessed man who was running naked in the graveyard and he met Christ and he came into his right mind and sat at the feet of the source of life. These apostles had helped distribute one little boy's lunch to literally thousands of people as Jesus fed the masses. They'd seen Jesus show compassion on Zacchaeus. I love that. Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. You see, Jesus knew that even though his pockets were full, his heart was empty. And these apostles watched Jesus radically transform the heart of a rich man to be a lover of Christ. Loved Jesus more than his money. They'd seen Jesus raise a widow's son from the casket in his funeral procession. I want you to get that picture. They're walking out with a dead body. Jesus comes along and says, hey, boy, get up. And he gets up in the middle of a funeral. These apostles had seen some significant things. Probably most significantly, they watched Jesus, their beloved master, suffer, be mocked, be ridiculed, be beaten and be crucified and buried And then three days later, raised from the dead, just as he promised. This was the moment that sealed the deal for them. If this Jesus has the power over death, who do we have to fear? Right? So all of this compelled these apostles to say, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. That's Acts 4.20. Listen to what they're saying. We cannot help ourselves. We must preach this message of Jesus. So what does it mean to be the church? Well, it means that you have been called out to bear Jesus's name. You're a Christian. And we are his church. So we gather to bear his name and we scatter to bear his name. And what does that mean in the name of Jesus? Well, we've we've used this definition the last few weeks. And here's what we said. It means under his authority, by his power. And for his glory, we do and say what we do under his authority, by his power and for his glory. That's what it means to to teach and to act and to live in the name of Jesus. But what happens when that mission is under attack? We saw what happened when it's under attack from the inside. God disciplines his church. What happens when that attack comes from the outside? And how do we as God's people respond to that attack? Well, let's take our Bibles and look at Acts chapter 5. Would you stand with me as we read from Acts chapter 5? 
Beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done through the apostles, or by the hands of the apostles. Now they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would come to what. What it would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things and so is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him when they heard this they were enraged and wanted to kill them but a pharisee in the council named gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while and he said to the men men of israel take care of what you are about to do with these men For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. 
Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We learn from the pages of history how this movement began. And we see in this text that it is an unstoppable mission. God, help us to be bold and courageous as your church, your people called out to bear your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we see in this text that Jesus has given us a mission. And this scripture reminds us that it is an unstoppable mission. It's an unstoppable mission. Gamaliel, this uh, uh, political leader, religious leader of the day, gives a prophetic word, actually. When he says... If this movement is of man, it will die with Jesus. We killed him. So these these followers, they'll fizzle out just like the rest. But if it is of God, quote, you will not be able to overthrow them. That's good news. Why? Because we're here. (laughs) Thousands of years later, the movement Jesus began and these apostles continued. Thousands of years later, it hasn't stopped. And it's gone from just 12 people to 100 and something people to 3,000 people at Pentecost to 5,000 people with the lame man being healed to now 2.6 billion people following Jesus Christ and living and walking and teaching in his name. We are a part of Jesus's unstoppable mission. Does that encourage you? Church, does that encourage you that what you've been called to do is not stoppable? You will not be beaten if you surrender to Jesus Christ. We walk in victory. So I want to give you three realities of this unstoppable mission. Here they are. The power of God rescues the poor in spirit. The power of God rescues the poor in spirit. When we begin this text in Acts 5... Uh, Verse 12 through verse 16, we see some pretty radical things happening. Signs and wonders are being done through the apostles by their hands. Uh, It's even so dramatic that uh, people are lying down in the streets just so Peter's shadow could uh, be cast on them. They're believing that they're going to be healed just by Peter's shadow. That's radical thinking, right? It reminds me of a woman who had a bleeding issue and came to Jesus in the crowd. And she thought to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, there's so much power in him, I'll be healed. It reminds me, it's that kind of faithful desperation that says, if I could just get in Peter's shadow, the power of the name of Jesus would heal me. That's the belief and faith that we see. But let me ask you, who is it? That's experiencing the great power of the gospel here. Well, as we read, it's it's the sick, it's the desperate, it's the needy, it's the the broken, it's the wounded. It reminds me of the scripture that Jesus 
taught, his most famous sermon in Matthew 5. Um, he begins the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. And he begins the very first one. He says this, blessed, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, Justin, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, I want to show you the, the similarities between what's going on with the, the broken people coming to the apostles and what was happening in Matthew 4. Just before Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew 4, the scripture says this. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And listen. Healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And Jesus healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus finds his way up on the mountain. He begins a sermon and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What I want you to see in our text in Acts 5 is the people experiencing the power of God are the needy. The people who are coming to Him in a posture to receive. And here's the truth for us today. Those who come to God recognizing their need for Him, that's who will receive Him in power. And be blessed by him. Contrast just for a moment. The contrast between the sick and the desperate and the needy. Versus the the Pharisees and Sadducees. The religious rulers who are going to come against the church. They don't even recognize the power of God to to rescue the, the apostles from prison. They're blinded even to that miracle that these guys just vanished from jail. Went right back to teaching. They can't even see it. However, those who are hurting and broken and humble and willing to say, I need you, Jesus. Those are the people who meet God in power. And the same is true today. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When it comes to Christ, all you need is need. But if you don't come to God needy, you won't come at all. Let me give you four quick things that we see in this text and. I've put them right there in your outline. I'll just walk through these quickly. Right here in this short passage, we see that the humble are saved. The Bible says that believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. These people are coming and being saved. And they're not just being healed in their bodies. They're being told the gospel of Jesus and they're coming to faith in Christ. The humble are saved. The lowly are loved. The Bible says that they were all together. I love that expression. It wasn't the needy people over here and the and the other people over here. It was we're all together. The lowly are loved, welcomed in as part of the family. Thirdly, the broken are healed. The Bible says the sick they were healed. People were being healed. I mean, this is real. Like people are really being healed. 
Nobody's going to lay down in the street and hope a shadow falls on them if somebody else wasn't healed. Like people are really being healed. And then lastly, those in darkness, I'm talking about spiritual bondage, spiritual darkness, are being delivered. The Bible says the, those afflicted with unclean spirits were healed. This is the power of God. It's the same power we saw in Jesus. And what God is doing in these moments at the foundation of the church is he's, he's saying, I sent Jesus. You saw the power he had. You heard the message he brought. Now he has sent these apostles. You see, the power that they have is my stamp of approval on the message they bring. Now, listen, they're preaching the gospel. They're not just healing people's physical problems. They're proclaiming the gospel that heals people's deepest need. And that is a spiritual need. God is using the miraculous to set the stage for the gospel message. I want to be quick to move from here because I just need to be quick. But let me address this. Um, We don't just want to seek the miraculous signs of God. We want to seek God. Let's don't settle for signs. We want him. But I did read a statement just the other day that I thought was intriguing and challenging to me. It was written to pastors of churches. And so I just want to say this as your pastor and. Um, that I'm challenged by this truth. Listen to what this says. Uh, Maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing much miraculous power in our ministries today could be that we're not attempting much that requires it. It was convicting and challenging to me. And I thought back to when Peter met that lame man at the gates called Beautiful. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up. Right? That's powerful. But I want to tell you the next moment. To me, is even more challenging when he stuck out his hand and grabbed him and lifted him up on those wobbly legs. A man for 40 years had never walked, and Peter's going to put his hand out and pull him up. That moment is attempting something that requires the miraculous. And as a church, we've got to be the kind of people that are willing to just get out there and go, God, if you don't do this, it's going to flop. The needy will experience the power of God. Secondly, the authority of God reigns over the proud and self-righteous. The authority of God reigns over the proud and self-righteous. So if need draws people in to experience the power of God and to be saved by the gospel, what is it that keeps people from being saved by the gospel of Jesus? give you one word pride if it's humility that opens our hearts to receive Jesus then it is pride that closes them to reject him and we see those two pictures here you know Uh, when when the apostles preach the gospel to these men who are proud and who think they have power they're not softened by it they're enraged and they want to kill them The high priests and the Sadducees, they loved power. They watched as the apostles are healing people, loving people and delivering people. Many are discovering the joy of faith in Christ. And the Sadducees and Pharisees see all that. And the Bible says they're filled with jealousy. 
You see, pride at the heart of man won't even let you celebrate a good God thing because you wish it was you. We need to beware of jealousy. The last of the Ten Commandments is about coveting. Coveting is wanting something that belongs to someone else. And jealousy and covetousness are our kin, right? They're cousins. So they, the Bible says that they lead to all other kinds of sin. Jealousy, covetousness leads to all other kinds. Somebody said this. God put that one last because it causes you to do all the rest. I think that's funny because uh, it's kind of true. When you think about it, jealousy leads you to lie. Jealousy leads you to steal. Jealousy leads you to murder, to commit adultery, all those things. So church, let's beware and repent when jealousy rises up in our hearts. Call it what it is. Let's repent. Turn from that. These prideful suckers. Can I say that? Can I say that, church? These prideful suckers uh, are rejecting Jesus because they're filled with jealousy. And by the end, they're enraged to the point of murder. They arrest these apostles. Then they have to go get them again after a miraculous angelic release. Which, by the way, is so ironic. Let me just tell you. The Sadducees, you know what makes them sad? Because they're sad, you see. What makes them sad is that they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the miracles. And they don't believe in angels. Did you know that? Look at the ironic power of God. He takes a resurrected Jesus to send angels to do a miraculous deliverance from jail. (laughs) And the Sadducees are ticked off about it. But they're blind to the miraculous power of God. He comes out with great irony to to show himself and they, they reject it. What I want us to see here is the clash of authority. What do we do, church, when the ruling authorities of men are in direct conflict with the reigning authority of God? Now, I want you to listen. Because what I'm saying right now is incredibly relevant for our day. I want to take just a few minutes here. There are places in our world where being a Christian and worshiping Jesus, praying to our God, evangelizing the lost goes directly against the governing authority. I've been in some of those countries. And I'm telling you, the government doesn't play sometimes. When you simply obey Jesus, there are some places in the world where they will come down on you. So if you disobey those human authorities, you will be punished. In some cases, killed for your faithfulness to Christ. In our country, we still have our religious freedoms. But in these last few months, we've seen how the government can quickly overreach and forbid certain Christian activities like attending a church gathering or like the governor in California has recently banned singing in church. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't believe the coronavirus, quote, stay at home orders were direct government persecution on the church. I don't believe that. But I do believe we better wake up to how fragile our freedoms are. We also should take note of how these apostles responded when they were commanded to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. How did they respond? They respond with what we might call, quote, civil disobedience. It's not the only time in the Bible we see this kind of clash of man's authority and God's authority. If you remember the three Hebrew boys... 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded by their king to bow their knee to a a huge image, a, a golden statue. And they disobeyed the order of their government. If you remember Daniel, he was forbidden to pray to his God. But he went back to his home and opened his window like a boss, got on his knees and prayed. This is civil disobedience and God honors it. Why? Here's the key. And I've left you enough space. I want you to write this down. This is important. Rejection of earthly authority is only okay when it is in submission to heavenly authority. Rejection of earthly authority is only okay when it is in submission to heavenly authority. So who really has all authority? I seem to remember a certain Jesus saying all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I seem to remember that. But because of the relevance of this particular message, I want you to turn with me in your Bible to another text. We'll put it on the screen for you. But first, Peter, who's one of our apostles here, writes to the church who is suffering great persecution under the hand of the government. And here's what he says in first Peter chapter two. Find your place maybe in your own copy of God's word or you can look on the screen behind me. But in 1 Peter 2.13, here's what Peter writes to the church. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. I love this last verse. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now this is written to a a church who's being burned alive for Christianity. And Peter writes to them and he says, you fear God. Honor the emperor. Here's um, four quick truths for you quickly. Government is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. He establishes government to be under him and over his people. Government exists to promote good and punish evil. Promote good and punish evil. God sets up leaders and he will drop them like a rock. King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 is a good example He thought too highly of himself and God sent him out into the woods to eat like an ox for seven years. You ought to read that. God has authority over kings. Secondly, God calls us to resist government only if the government calls us to resist God. In the book of Acts 3, chapters 3 through 5, the government is demanding the apostles not to teach and preach in Jesus' name. So for them to obey the government would have been to directly disobey God. It's in this kind of circumstance that God sanctions our civil disobedience. But only in this circumstance. The scriptures, Peter writes, to submit to earthly authorities. Thirdly, 
When you, uh, we proclaim the gospel in our resistance. What I mean by this is when you, if you have to, which I pray we don't, but if you have to resist the governing authorities, do it in such a way to proclaim the gospel. The apostles didn't intend to stir up conflict. That wasn't their aim. They weren't rioting and protesting for their freedoms. They stood before the governing authorities and proclaimed the gospel message. They took their problem and made it their podium for the gospel message. Here was their message. God raised Jesus, whom you crucified. God exalted him as leader and savior. What they were saying there is God is our leader. You are leaders, but God is the ultimate. Christ is our ultimate leader and savior. And he's given repentance and forgiveness of sin. Lastly, they said God has given the Holy Spirit to any who faithfully obey him. So I've said government is a gift from God. God calls us to resist only if government calls us to resist God. I've said to proclaim the gospel in your resistance. And lastly, be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer. The three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fire, right? God didn't spare them the fire. He just went with them. Daniel, he was thrown into the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions, but Daniel went to the den. And these apostles, they're imprisoned and beaten, severely beaten. But they rejoiced to suffer for Jesus' sake. And this is our last reality of our unstoppable mission. Here it is. The joy of God revives the persecuted saints. These apostles knew that they were on an unstoppable mission because they'd seen Jesus suffer and die, then raise from the dead and ascend on high. They knew to expect persecution. I mean, Jesus had told them, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. They knew to expect persecution. They knew that God would use their life, their witness, and even their death, if need be, for the advancement of his kingdom. What we're reading in Acts now, in chapter 3, they were threatened. In chapter 4, they were imprisoned and released. In chapter 5, they were imprisoned and beaten. Do you see the escalation of persecution? How it's growing, 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 growing. By the time we get to chapter 7, Stephen is going to be martyred. We're growing to the point of death, right? That's where following Jesus has, is taking them. So I want to tell you two things here. Suffering is inevitable. And rejoice in your trials. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Don't be surprised when you suffer for Jesus, as if something strange is happening to you. Don't be surprised. Suffering is inevitable. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul writes, and he says, Anyone who desires to live godly will suffer persecution. In James chapter 1 Verse 3 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. In Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus told his, uh, his people as he's preaching that Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed, happy are the persecuted for my name's sake. So just go back with me to this text. Can you imagine the scene here? These apostles have just stood boldly before their highest ruling council and respectfully declared, we hear you. But we are not going to obey you. We are going to obey God. We must obey God. God 
preserves their life through the politically charged wisdom of Gamaliel. And then they beat them. And after having beat them severely, these apostles walk away celebrating. Can you imagine the feeling of defeat from these religious leaders? They're like, we've thrown them in jail. We've threatened them. We've put them back in jail. We put them back in jail again. We've, we've beaten them. And here they go singing songs. What? What? I can imagine the sense of utter failure. Like, what could we do to these people? And that's the point. The mission of God is unstoppable. When the people of God believe He's powerful to save, that He has all authority, and that He's the source of our joy. The mission is unstoppable. When you know how the story ends, the bumps in the road won't ruin your journey. You'll begin to see even those detours as part of His mission. So a couple of takeaways for us today. First, come needy to Jesus. Come needy. Worship team, if you'll come on up. If you come to Jesus in need, He will meet you in power. That's beautiful truth. Secondly, God is in control and has all authority. Give your full obedience to Christ. Let's listen to what Peter says. He says, fear God and honor your leaders. Let's learn in our culture to walk in that tension. Fear God and honor our leaders. Thirdly, let's live with such gospel focus that you can consider it joy when you face trials. Church, we're on an unstoppable mission to bear the name of Jesus in our world.